Hello everyone, I'm Becca, dietitian by trade, mom 24-7, wife from the start, and when there's a few extra hours in the day, you might find me hitting the trails or on horseback. And I'm Kara, a therapist to women, a mom to a boy, an entrepreneur, mountain junkie, and a postpartum runner. And this is Fit for a Queen, a podcast that's devoted to the female athlete wanting to balance the teeter-totter of all the things we desire out of life as women. Performance, health, intellect, and taking time for self, even if we only get one minute out of the day. We're so excited to be bringing you the queens in the athletic world who have done just that. Okay, ladies, take a seat at your thrones, grab your crowns, and welcome to Fit for a Queen. All right. Welcome back, queens. We have somebody from across the pond today, as they would say. (laughs) I think so. (laughs) Uh, Fiona is the director of The Mindful Dietitian and lives in Melbourne, Australia. She has been practicing as a dietitian for over 20 years. However, you would never guess that as young as she looks. (laughs) Primarily in the areas of eating behavior, eating disorders, body image, sports nutrition, and education training. Fiona is a committed health at every size and weight-inclusive dietitian, spending most of her working week supervising other dietitians or running training events for dietitians and health professionals. She is host of the podcast, The Mindful Dietitian, and a sports dietitian consulting at the Australian Ballet School and National Sporting Organizations. Fiona also teaches across master's-level dietetic training programs at several different universities in Melbourne, specifically in counseling skills and weight-inclusive approaches in dietetics. Fiona is a committed mindfulness practitioner and yoga teacher, bringing a particular emphasis on embodiment, mindful eating, trauma-informed approaches, and body image into our work and training. That just sounds lovely. I know, I'm and I should say to she has the energy of like a, a teen or a 20-year-old with all the things that she does, and we're going to be sure to have links to those because her educational pieces are amazing. I'm working through her body image one right mm-hmm. now. Ooh, really? So Ooh. welcome, Fiona. Hello. How are you both? It's wonderful to be here. Thanks Aww, for coming we're on. Super excited to have you. Oh, awesome. (laughs) Well, I feel like I have to kick off because I told Kara, like, you are one of the biggest leaders in our field. And while I know you're going to be humble with that, it's your enthusiasm, your excitement for everything that you bring that just seems to be creating change. I'd love to hear your journey and how you got to where you're at today. Sure. Okay. So given this is a podcast, I'm going to give you the short <laughs> thing. This could, this could take a while. All right. So I come from a gymnastics background myself in terms of athlete, and I spent most of my teenage years with you know, a, an annoying ankle injury. So I spent a lot of time at the physiotherapist or physical therapist, as as you all say in the States, um, learning the intricacies of rehab. And so finishing off my schooling, my formal education, I thought I'd probably head in that direction, given that I was incredibly (laughs) knowledgeable then about what a physiotherapist did, or so I thought, because of course, you know, (laughs) you go in for treatment, you don't know what people do. It's like saying, I eat, therefore I can be a dietitian. (laughs) So I had my mind really set on that pathway. And then when I finished my schooling, there were some changes to our education system. And as it 
as it turns out, actually didn't get into physiotherapy. It's a it's a, a extremely hard course to get into. Mm-hmm. And even though I'd got decent marks, I just hadn't quite got there. And it was one of the first times in my life that I was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to really, really change direction quite suddenly over quite a big decision. And so I went into just a regular science degree, Bachelor of Science, and then ended up doing a master's in dietetics. So that was, that was kind of cool. I did that for, so I did my undergrad for three years in science, and then I did postgrad for two years and ended up traveling to the UK for a couple of years doing clinical work and then to Canada for a couple of years. But because at the time I wasn't able to work in Canada, there was no like reciprocal health health worker agreement or anything like that. I ended up stepping away from dietetics and worked with youth and was essentially like an outdoor education instructor. (laughs) And I worked in the most, I know it was just, it was a really amazing- It was amazing. The pay the pay was terrible. Oh sure. Oh sure. <laughs> great tan. No. Exactly. Exactly. I got to meet some really cool people who taught me a lot about life. I think I was fairly sheltered. You know, I'd spent most of my teenage years, you know, in the gymnastics halls and, you know, I would train up to twenty five hours a week as gymnasts usually do and I think I probably had a particular you know exposure to limited exposure to 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 life and so then moving forwards from there I came back home and thought I, I signed up actually for a master's in teaching so I thought I would end up going down the route of teaching and then my dad at the time said to me he was he's not anti-teaching not at all but he said you've you've already got one degree so Mm -hmm. what's the deal type (laughs) of thing you know maybe just give dietetics one more crack and so this part I share quite widely I ended up working in like a weight loss kind of clinic Mm -hmm. type of thing and it was hideous it was so hideous but or and I should say, and I met the most incredible humans actually who were super trusting of me to tell me their story around their struggles with their food, eating and body relationships. And that was the first time I'd really been exposed to people's more difficult and challenging journeys. And I I mean, at this point in time, I want to acknowledge that I have enormous numbers of intersecting privileges. So I'm I'm white, I'm smaller bodied, I'm educated, I'm cis and heterosexual and and kind of show up in the world in a very unobtrusive way in lots of ways. It affords me the opportunities to stand in front of people and talk to them in a way that engenders trust, which is not the privilege that a lot of people have in the world. And so I don't take those privileges lightly and really try to, you know, I spend a lot of my life, as as you know, in particular, Becca, you know, really trying to contribute towards the world being a fairer place for all people in all bodies. So it was really at that workplace where the fire in my belly started around weight-inclusive work. And I saw firsthand how grossly unfair the world was to people in in different in bodies that were different 
to mine. And at first, my response was, I'm doing something wrong, which is a really interesting response in, in reflection. And of course, there was no such thing as supervision back then. So I, I was just left in my little old hidey hole feeling bad, really. I thought I'm a bad dietitian. I'm doing this wrong. I don't know how to help people. I, I, really, I really didn't know what to do. And so this was in the early 2000s and I was very lucky to literally kind of stumble across a book at the time called If Not Dieting, Then What? by a Melbourne-based at the time GP, Dr. Rick Corsman. And this is one of the first books actually that was published that wasn't in the for example, Janine Roth style, mm-hmm. but that was written for the layperson and clinician both. And look, I've never kind of had this overt conversation with Rick, who has since retired, but I, I think he would rewrite it now because at the time, I mean, in our language, Becca, we would say it's very fence sitting. It's very like mm. if you want to lose weight, then, you know, body acceptance and, you know, non-diet, diet, mindful eating for weight loss, you know, that kind of right. thing. But at the time, it felt revolutionary. I was like, I had never heard of this. I had never heard of this approach. I'd never heard really of mindful eating. I'd done, I'd done some mindfulness practice actually when I was away in Canada. That really started off that practice. But then I, w- I thought to myself, okay, so first of all, it's not just me. So that was a real relief. And then I started to reach out in the community and it seemed as though it was very new at the at the time. This was all I knew. And of course, it wasn't brand new. But in my younger mind, I was like, oh my gosh, this is really different. I better not be too loud about it. I better just keep this to myself for a little while. Otherwise, people are going to think things, right? And I just really needed them to not think things and just to figure this out, whatever this was. And so then I just started to just really, I started listening to my clients in a, in a different way and started to test out some of the, for example, the appetite awareness activities and reflections and really started paying attention to their lived experience and their story. And oh my goodness, I still think to this day that that was the most accidentally informative part of my career so far, where um it was really through my clients that I learned how to properly listen and to pay attention to what needed to be attended to. And even though the workplace itself was hideous, I was treated really badly and that was awful. And I ended up leaving after maybe six or seven months or something Mm -hmm. like that, regretfully regretfully leaving the clients, but not regretfully leaving the workplace. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of started my own very, very small private practice, really. And I was so lucky to meet Rick and, you know, have lunch with him. And, you know, he was super keen that I was, he was happy, excuse me, happy that I was so keen and uh, really helped me to name myself as a non-diet dietitian at the time. So this was in the early 2000s and I was still figuring it out as we are you know, early-ish in our career and started my own very small private practice. And then it was at that time that I really needed another job. I joined my local sports dietitians group because that was something that I always wanted to get back into and went to a couple of meetings and happened to sit next to a woman who at the time started one of Melbourne's very first 
eating disorder private practices. And she just happened to lean over to me and she said, do you, do you want a job? <laughs> literally, it was nice. literally like yeah. that. And, and, I, you know, and I said, uh, what, what kind of job are you talking about? <laughs> and she said, in eating disorders, I had had no interest at all. None. <laughs> I, I had no understanding. I didn't have a lived experience of uh, mental health, poor body image or an eating disorder myself. So I really was, I was completely, so to speak, in the dark here. And I said, sure, <laughs> why not? You know, why not? So anyway, I started there and I ended up working for that practice for 10 years, oh, which wow. was amazing. And that was the place that I really cut my teeth on things like FBT. We were the first practice in oh, Australia. No, sorry, nice. sorry, beg your pardon. One of the first practices in Australia to do FBT. Mm-hmm. And it was very, I don't really like this word, but it was kind of pure, the pure model back then. Mm-hmm. Very manualized, kind of a little bit different to how it is now, but I really treasure those years in terms of, oh my goodness, I learned so much again about people, about lived experience. And that was the time where I began to see the similarity between the people who I'd seen in the weight loss clinic and then people who were diagnosed with clinical eating disorders who who were apparently, according to the medical system, very different. But according to my ears, there was a lot of crossover. And that's not to say that the people who I saw in the weight loss clinic had clinical eating disorders, but the degree of concern and worry and time and energy being expended on body and eating related concerns were very comparable, actually. Mm-hmm. And the third part of this picture is I actually started in elite sport at this point in time, like like top level football. And and then, of course, and this will come as no surprise to either of you, I'm sure, mm-hmm. I heard again really similar relationships with food and eating and yeah. bodies. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I I thought to myself, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> like <laughs> clinical eating disorders, all different body all different body types, all different ages in this eating disorder um, private practice, the weight loss clinic, and now top level elite athletes. Mm-hmm. And I just, again, I, 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 was, I think it was the second round of being perplexed. I was like, what the hell is going on here? And then over time, you know, with, with support and supervision at the time, as I continue to do today, I kind of began to put the pieces of the puzzle together in the sense that, you know, understanding fraught relationships with food, eating and body as being a, a commonality of the human condition to various degrees, of course, some people have very little concern, which is oh, wonderful and something to be celebrated, uh, right through to significant degrees of concern and worry and, and, and trauma, actually, around food and eating and, and, and our experiences of our bodies as they, as they are in the world. So, yeah, I think that kind of brought me forward to kind of what I do today, which is I started doing some co-facilitating with Fiona Willer, who is primarily an academic, an incredibly smart woman, a very close friend of mine. So we started doing some non-diet approach training for dietitians, probably about, oh, I think maybe, maybe maybe eight years ago or so, and have been doing that ever since here in Australia, uh, skipping around the cities and having a lovely time until <laughs> COVID. Sure. Ugh. ruined it ruined it because Fee and I live on opposite sides of Australia so we often say the only way we see each other is through this training so Mm -hmm. let's just keep doing it you know it's our little excuse to catch up of course 
and really, really enjoyed the training and education space. And at that time, I think probably maybe 10 years ago or so, I started teaching into the master's dietetic programs. Again, just really loved the teaching and education. I think it probably took me back to my gymnastics coaching days mm. where it was it was teaching and coaching and and kind of it was, you know, developing the next generation coming through almost. So in a way, it did feel a lot like coaching, a lot of feedback, a lot of, you know, facilitation. And to this day, I think that's my favourite part of my job. So I do keep my finger in the clinical pie uh, just a little bit with clients and also my work at the Australian Ballet School. So working with those teenagers is just great joy, like a super, super awesome joy for me. Is that what brought you to, I know that I've heard you many a times say, know better and do better? Is that that perpetual educator in you? Yeah, Becca, thank you. <laughs> That's Yeah, definitely. I think when we can understand more about ourselves, I think, you know, self-reflection in dietetics is not particularly encouraged, as you both would be aware. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and if you are going to self-reflect, then self-reflect for the explicit purposes of knowing more, as opposed to becoming more familiar with yourself and more familiar with your own experiences in the world and and various privileges and biases and, and you know, how to be a better person. And and it's not that is not to say that dietitians aren't good people. I, I think a vast majority of dietitians that I have met are wonderful people, like so caring and so generous, and also can have a tendency towards the intellectual and really want to know more for the purposes of knowing more to to, to it's kind of like the the intellectualized process as opposed to bringing our bodies along and our whole selves along for the ride. And so when I say, in uh, you know, the, the kind of subline of the mindful dietitian, know better, do better is it's, it is really important for us to be investigators and to, you know, take that, you know, my, you know, mind approach, you know, where we um, understand things more, but that also extends to taking ourselves, our whole selves out into the world to contribute towards a culture, a society and a world where people can live in a more equitable way. And I think to myself that we're in such a good position to do this, you know, social workers are incredible, nurses are incredible, like there's so many professions where this is the gig really in so in lots of ways. But for dietitians, we have a great opportunity to, to make things fairer, so to speak. And it starts with us. It starts with our willingness to be able to turn in, turn inwards and do our own work first. So there's something I'm really passionate about. Mm. And is it, is it painful and uncomfortable? (laughs) Yes, (laughs) very, very much so. And also I think this is how things are going to shift. I really believe that. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense, especially in sport. Like we have all this science but we're forgetting, and I'm guilty as charged, where we get caught in the weeds with science that we forget about taking the whole the whole body, the whole athlete as a person, yeah. and then how we're we're treating and coaching and you know making our recommendations. Yeah, that's that's really true. I think it's um also we there's this dominant kind of narrative that is set up in sport where it's the coach or the health professional that kind of tells the athlete what to do and then the athlete kind of does it as opposed to what I think is a more effective way forward and that is like a partnership 
with the athlete where we're seeking to understand what will help them get the best out of themselves, whatever that is, whether that is strength and endurance training or whether it is nutrition and eating or whether it is um, skill-based performance, like whatever will help an athlete also understand themselves and their bodies best. You know, as dietitians, you know, for example, one of the things that I do with an athlete on a just a completely, you know, kind of sports nutrition point of view is help help them understand their own body rhythms. So not only day to day, but then also week to week, month to month, and how we can understand that in alignment with maybe the seasons, the training seasons, the coming and going of performances and, and events, and how we can periodize and, and really understand our bodies so that we can, you know, and of course, for athletes, the, the kind of the point is optimal performance for them. But also something I've really incorporated into all my teaching is helping them to take care of their mental and emotional health as well, and really introducing them to the idea that, you know, that that, that really matters. And so when we're talking, for example, about Red S, that we're also talking about mental and emotional health and that that is very much a part of taking care of ourselves for longevity because there's, I just see so much real burnout with athletes mm-hmm. where um, not only physical but then also mental as well. And it feels like such a pity when they've been, you know, performing or dancing or training or um participating since very young ages. So I feel like, you know, this could really promote longevity for them in lots of ways. Mm-hmm. The full body approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fiona, can you talk a little bit about body positivity in sport? Tell us a little bit more about how you've been instrumental in this, especially within the gymnastics world. Yeah, thanks, Cara, for asking. So Body positivity is more than a feel-good movement. It is a social movement which really seeks to seeks to further the idea that all people in all bodies deserve respect and care. It's it's as simple and as complex as that. What many people might not know is that the body positivity movement, if you want to kind of call it that, dates right back to the 60s and probably before that as well. You know, a lot of the fat activists and queer activists from the 1960s were demanding better care as they should still be today and and we should be demanding that for for and alongside them as well but their voices were very loud back in the 70s and then you know 70s 80s and and brought us to where we are today so unfortunately what i observe happening is that you know the the original purpose of body positivity has kind of been a little bit drowned out by wellness culture and mm, very much you know yeah, and diet culture as well. So that, yes, um, you deserve respect and care as long as you are expending time, energy and money on body improvement or something, which is <laughs> And I find it level- so confusing oh. for, you know, the audience of like, yeah, I mean, the mix of diet culture within body positivity. Everybody's confused now. Right. <laughs> Right. Imagine That's that. exactly right. <laughs> I know. I know. It's such high level bullshit, seriously. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, and so it's... Um, Body positivity in sport, really, what I what I aim to do is to honour the original intentions of those activists from the 1960s and today's activists too. There's plenty plenty of them slash us out there where we're coming from a place of everybody deserves respect and care. It's not contingent. It's not contingent on our efforts. It's not contingent on our shape and size. It's not contingent on our body fat levels. It's not contingent on our performance or our, how much we can lift or, you know, any anything like that. It's treating 
it's fostering the idea that everybody deserves to be treated with care alongside just however they however they show up so if we're injured we still deserve to be treated with respect and and mm. for us to treat ourselves with respect as well so a couple of years ago now, um, Gymnastics Australia, specifically Stephanie Morehouse, who is an ex-Olympian, although I guess once an Olympian, always an Olympian, <laughs> oh, I guess, yeah. I, I suppose. I'm not sure. I'll just check in with Steph on that. So she, <laughs> um, was, a, she was one of, a, I was going to say one of my gymnasts, but I do not own Steph. <laughs> she, she is, I she bet is she a would take claim to that. <laughs> oh, she's a legend and, and somebody who I adore greatly. So Steph is a real mover and shaker, actually, and she has energy to burn. Well, not energy to burn. She has energy to boot, really, and has always been an enthusiastic supporter of body positivity, particularly and specifically in gymnastics. So she has her own kind of personal experience around her body kind of being scrutinized and commented on and being demanded of in terms of body shape and weight, which we both experienced kind of together, like me as her dietitian and then her as the athlete. So I'm sure you could both understand that there are pressures that come with working with athletes whose bodies are scrutinized in particular mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. And as, you know, as, as, fate would have it, Steph um, (laughs) just performed beautifully at Commonwealth Games and at Olympic Games. And she's a bloody legend. You know, she is one of Australia's best gymnasts of all times, for sure. And so she really determined to make the sport better for future gymnasts and to say, hey, you know, even though you don't look like that tiny little girl next to you you can be great look you know you can be great you know and even if you're not ever going to be a high level gymnast please enjoy the sport because it has so much to offer and we we want this to be so much more than only particular people can participate and so Steph kind of called me basically called me and said are you interested in developing some guidelines for the sport and it took me a microsecond to say absolutely like this is <laughs> well overdue well overdue and much needed and so together we took about um it was about six months or so that we took developing these guidelines so they're all evidence-based um, you know uh, reflecting on existing literature and exist I mean, it's kind of limited anyway really particularly in this in um, gymnastics but understanding what we already what already exists out there and then basically made what's called the body body positive guidelines in gymnastics which is available on gymnastics australia website if anybody's interested in downloading it i i'm very very proud of this document because what it does is, even though they are guidelines, what we were aiming to do is to communicate with clarity and with a little bit of firmness, I guess, is what we're asking people to do and say and what not to do and not to say. It also steps through the really, really important aspects of communication and consent so that um, things like if particular institutes or high performance centres were undertaking activities like weighing gymnasts, that that was only done in an evidence-based way that had the gymnast's performance, not, you know, weight control in mind, and that that was done at a frequency that was going to be as safe as possible, that is trauma-informed, and is going to have a very, very high consent process attached to it. So um, lots of education, lots of parent and family support, and that the 
gymnasts themselves were able to take this data alongside all their other performance data and that it wasn't going to, you know, dominate their their mind and their life, which is not how it used to be. Those, oh gosh, it kind of makes me feel sick to even think about it. You know, weighing gymnasts used to be just a daily or weekly occurrence. Not that I used to do it, but they used to do it themselves. I just, I just feel really nauseous thinking about the impact of that over time and how traumatic that could have mm-hmm. been for those gymnasts. And I feel deeply regretful actually over lots of things that I knew were happening that I didn't, I spoke up about it at the time, but I was kind of told to just be quiet and stop. It was fine. Everybody was fine. And then it, se- it seems as though people weren't fine now I'm finding out and um, I yeah have a lot of regret about inaction and that and so I think probably my regrets around inaction were uh, propelled into Mm -hmm. this document and um, it's been on the whole on the whole it's been received very positively Mm -hmm. um, and with open arms so of course you'll you will get those coaches and managers who are like oh hang on a second like don't tell us what to do and what to say and um, we've really had to be firm and to say, actually, we are holding you to account. We are asking you not to comment on a bo- on somebody's body weight, shape and size. We are asking you to never ask a gymnast to change their body weight, shape and size using, you know, uh, ostensibly, you know, using uh, restriction. We are asking you to seek the proper support and go through the proper avenues to be able to support a gymnast, the whole gymnast, not just what you see. So anyway, that's the story of the Body Positive Guidelines. No, that's great. And I was going to ask if you've gotten any pushback. I'm just thinking of, you know, some of the things that have been trying to be moved forward with gymnastics here has really led to the need of education around coaches and parents of kind of the some of those negative aspects that we've been really working around. So that's great that it's been um, received openly. Yeah. Look, I think what happened is that um, it was received on the whole fairly well. And then this was just before Athlete A was um, released. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Very, very interesting timing. So I think it was released maybe six months before Athlete A. Mm-hmm. And there are some definite crossovers between what was spoken about in Athlete A and then what we were asking people to do. Not what, why. Like why right. we were saying consent is so important. Communication is so important. You need to we need to take responsibility and hold ourselves to account around these gymnastic experiences. So mm-hmm. it was really, really interesting timing. And I must, I've got to be honest with you both that Steph and I just looked at each other when it was released and heaved a massive sigh of relief in terms of timing because it would have looked massively performative had sure. we released it afterwards. afterwards. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we were, we were like, oh, thank God, you know, <laughs> and it, we weren't like dancing around and patting each other on the back. We were more like, Thank God sure. we've started these conversations. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you've been on top of everything else, <laughs> you also have a new newly released book, Vitamin A to Z. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay. So this is a sweet little read um, that <laughs> guides the guides people from A to Z or Z. I'm just gonna say Z because that's in my my language, of the qualities that we can cultivate to have a more flexible and peaceful relationship with food, eating and our bodies. So I'll give you some examples. So vitamin A is not actually vitamin A. It is awareness. 
vitamin B is bravery, vitamin C is curiosity, vitamin D is diversify, and et cetera. And it, and it skips on through to vitamin Z, which is actually my favorite. <laughs> this is zip it. And so, so when to, and so one of the bylines of this, or one of the little quotes in this is, you know, uh, when to bring it, and then when to zip it. Mm-hmm. Like for, for us, it's like when to speak up and when to save your energy because someone's not reachable or teachable. The other aspect of vitamin Z that I completely love is, is you know, how to speak up in a way that encourages other people to zip it. You know, like in workplaces is, uh, is a shocker actually for diet chitty chat and yeah. body deprecating conversations. And so this is a, I call it the cheeky chapter because it is pretty fiery and it's really asking us to be a little bit more feisty, but also I really want to honor in this, in this particular chapter that it's not always going to be wise or smart for us to speak up. Sometimes we need to conserve our energy for situations where we're actually going to be able to have an impact. And that goes for dietitians and health professionals as well. Like I, I kid you not, I really, these days, conserve my energy for spaces in which people are more willing and open-minded to be able to have a conversation. I feel like I've kind of come a long way in terms of understanding the signals that people are giving me as to how open-minded they are. And if if they if they're not demonstrating some of the main kind of signs of being open-minded, then I just take a breath, I keep my feet on the ground, and I just remind myself this is not the time, this is not the person, and and that that's okay. There'll be other there'll be a plenty of others mm-hmm. opportunities. <laughs> um, yeah. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, A to Z is what's called a mini. So it. Uh, your paper sizes are a little bit different to us, to ours, but for any Australians listening, it's A5, which means A5 size is like, um, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like kind of ostensibly half the size of a regular book. It's half the thickness and half the physical size. And so it's a little purse size that you can pull out and just give yourself a little boost. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a mixture. I try to the one thing I regret, and I've shared this with a couple of people, is although I don't regret calling it vitamin A to Z, a better, more accurate title would be namaste. I'm a yoga teacher as well. So namaste as in, you know, bring bring calm, bring peacefulness, mm-hmm. bring compassion meets WTF, which is <laughs> <laughs> the kind of the other part of me that I feel is quite I can be quite fiery and I can get I can get upset about things like not not so much in a way that I kind of admit that over everybody else but I have a fair bit of in yoga we would call this tapas mm-hmm. which is fire fire energy mm-hmm. in me and um, I try to cultivate that for good <laughs> not yeah. evil and and try to direct that in ways that actually can make a difference so I wish I'd called it namaste meets WTF <laughs> secretly <laughs> well we'll kind of put that in parentheses we'll that tagline. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great tagline yeah well, well, it sounds like, again, we all need like a little bit of joy uh, right now. So it sounds like perfect timing to get that out and get that book. And uh, Fiona, thanks so much for joining us and talking about your history and the work that you've been doing. Now you see why she's one of my favorites. I know. Though. Gosh, she's she's busy. We need to, can we steal you from Australia and <laughs> bring you over here? How about, 
how how about you you come here? That that would oh, be true. that would be really nice. Yeah, no, that would be There's that would be good. Done. I'm look I'm looking for. A she trip. could be our outdoor adventurer. We love the outdoors, so we're good. Uh, yes. Yeah, definitely. Well, when the borders open again, then we can we can make mm. sure that we that we make that happen. <laughs> Girls trip, Becca. Yeah. Oh, Royce. No, Royce wants in too. So All right, got Royce we've got us. the crew coming. We call to him you. the wizard. <laughs> <laughs> well, we like to end every interview with asking you how you're living out the fit philosophy of balancing performance, health, intellect, and taking time for self. Great. Okay, so I'm just going to write that down: performance, health, intellect, and taking time for self. Yes. Okay. All right. So. These days, it was so interesting. I was talking to a friend the other day and we we were just out walking and we passed one of those studios where it's like a boxing gym type of thing and they do like hit training and stuff like that. And there was loud music blaring. It was ACDC, boom, 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 boom. And, you know, the the whole place was um, pumping. And, And I thought to myself, yeah, no, not interested in that anymore. Like I used to be very interested in like power sport and really, you know, like really seeing what my body could do. And I just, I thought, I thought, no, I just, that would be my worst nightmare now. Like take me to a quiet yoga studio and just let me be on my mat. I don't know whether it's having kids, but my it dream. is that you want to be alone is it? and, and yes. quiet. Yes. Yeah, we've, we've <laughs> talked to, she, we're going to rent a cabin and Kara said I can come as long as you don't talk. I don't talk. No, we need quiet. <laughs> I come too, please. <laughs> I promise I won't talk if I come too. Yes. <laughs> yes. You have to promise though. <laughs> I promise. I promise. I promise. And so I think this was, became illuminated last year when the kids were home for six months being homeschooled, you know, when we were really struggling with COVID here. And, and so I think in terms of performance, I would say that my optimal performance is in silence on my yoga mat not doing anything, as in mm. just lying there. <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> that is, for me, that is so nourishing and allows me to show up in the world in a way that I can get shit done. Like, really, <laughs> I don't yeah. need to add strong physicality my, to my life at the moment. Oh, so that's performance. Um, health. A ditto. Same thing for me, stillness and um, self-reflection is so, so good for my health. However, we self-define health. Spending time with friends is amazing for my health. I don't subscribe to any particular dietary philosophy or movement philosophy. I try to just pay attention to what I need really and what feels good or feels nourishing or feels like, yeah, feels feels good. So that's going to be health. Intellect. Okay. Hmm. I don't love, I don't love, for example, reading research. I love hearing really smart people have conversations on things like podcasts. So podcasts like yours and, you know, Christy Harrison's on anti diet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's her book. Food psych, for example, like I, I really enjoy what really stimulates my intellect is hearing smart people have really good conversations. Mm-hmm. I find myself just getting really curious and I find that's, again, very nourishing. That I can, can I give a my latest favorite, favorite podcast? It's new, is The Laverne Cox Show. Laverne I don't know if Cox either of you show. are onto it, mm-hmm. but uh, no. 
Oh my God. Get onto it. It is amazing. So she, one of her first episodes was with Brene Brown. Oh, well, there you go. And then, yep, yep, yep. And then one of the most. Yeah. Exactly. Well, (laughs) it sounds like they're friends, like from, from the conversation, it sounds like they've known each other for a long time, which is so lovely, you know, so lovely. And one of her latest conversations was with um, Virgie Tovar, who I adore. And, uh, and, uh, and, I'm, I'm trying to get Virgie on my podcast. So that's so exciting. <laughs> um, anyway, so she could be following in your footsteps, Becca, on my podcast. So Ooh. there you go. There you go. But I loved that conversation so much. And taking time, was it, was it taking time for self? Is that right? Yeah, time yep. for self. Time for self. I'm going to go back to the yoga mat again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, like I think you very, should. Very that sounds great. You can have as much yeah, yeah. time as you want. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So by yoga mat, I don't necessarily literally mean the yoga mat. I just mean the floor. Just get my body on the floor, get my nervous system settled. Just feel back into, just feel back into my body and feel back into myself because my tendency, and I'm sure neither of you relate to this, my tendency is to be in my head and to think, think my way through things. And so just getting my body on the floor, whether I'm still or moving, just really helps me to reconnect with. And that's how I can take time for myself as well. So yeah, there we go. Fiona, it's always such a joy visiting with you. Um, We could do this all day, but I'm sure what time is it there for you right now? It is 8.30 and my kids are just about to go to school. Oh. Yay! Oh, wow. Good timing. I have to pick mine up. I wish I was... This is the best part of the day for you, huh? That's right. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on and we hope you have a nice, quiet morning. Yes. Yeah, thank you. It has been so much fun speaking with you both. It's great to stay connected and I hope for the people listening that you... Uh, that you enjoyed our conversation so thank you both so much Absolutely. thank Aww. you so much have a good day bye queen you too bye. bye today's episode is brought to you by yours truly i'm excited to announce the releasing of my book finding your sweet spot in sport avoiding relative energy deficit in sport also known as red s by optimizing your energy balance be sure to follow me on social media or go to my website www.beccamcomble.com bye queens For additional information on today's topic and guests, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fit for a Queen. Hashtag Fit for a Queen. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes. We can't wait for you to join us next time on Fit for a Queen. Bye, queens.